Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How's it going, everybody? You're listening to the Command Zone Podcast. My name is Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And we have a special episode for you guys today because we are sitting in the hotel room at PAX, which is the Penny Arcade Expo here in Seattle, Washington, with special gla- guest, special guest, Glenn Jones. Also special Glenn. Yeah. Special, <laughs> special Glenn Jones, everybody. Um, Glenn, Yay. we know from the Masters of Modern, you were the original co-host with Alex Kessler, which is our mm-hmm. sister podcast. And then you got hired by Wizards of the Coast. Very, very shortly after we started that, yeah. <laughs> Almost because of it. I mean, let's not lie. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was at like, have you guys heard this podcast? This guy is awesome. We should, we should hire him on. Uh, so Glenn is no longer with that podcast, but you're at Wizards now. And today uh, we're going to talk about Conspiracy 2, which is... Awesome. Yeah. You you're played it, awesome. You played, I, you played, I played like, four turns of it. <laughs> that sound, I bet it was really good. And I can already tell it was awesome. Every, it's no surprise to our listeners because I love Conspiracy in general. Yeah. Uh, so Conspiracy 2 came out. Conspiracy 1 was two years ago. Uh, that was one of the first episodes we recorded was a full set review of Conspiracy for God knows why. <laughs> two hours. We were excited. Yeah. I mean, we're equally excited about Conspiracy 2, but we won't do a set review. We'll, we'll, we might talk about the we cards. We might do like a breakdown, a, one of our side uh, board episodes about it, but probably not a card by card, limited resources style. Yeah, certainly. We're probably not doing that. No. But, but before we start, yeah. uh, we should talk very quickly because we have a sponsor for the show, and that sponsor is Card Kingdom. Uh, very excitedly, we're actually going to go to Card Kingdom tomorrow. Glenn, you're invited. I will uh, be there. I love sweet. Card Kingdom. Sweet. Uh, so we'll be there Friday Night Magic. We're going to hang out and play with uh, whoever wants to show up from PAX that doesn't have a badge uh, and play some EDH, maybe draft some Conspiracy. Cardkingdom.com slash Command Zone is where you guys can go if you want to purchase any cards from the website and support the show. Um, I'm excited for you to experience the card check for the first time. Yeah, I'm stoked oh, wow. to check it out. I've seen pictures. I hear everybody talk about it. It's uh, kind of the gold standard for card shops. So It definitely I'm, is. I'm pretty stoked. Use the affiliate link. Support the show. We do appreciate it. Yeah. All um, right. Glenn, do you want to tell us what your title is, was on 
Conspiracy 2? Sure. Uh, my title for Conspiracy 2 is, uh, is a little convoluted. It was actually the first set I started working on, really, when I joined Wizards, which was January 1st, 2015. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I got there, and Conspiracy 2 had basically wrapped design. It was starting up development. And I'm an editor in Magic R&D, a card set editor. So a lot of my work is on like tinkering with actual wordings on cards, making sure that they're intelligible, that the, the rules work, that there aren't bizarro loopholes that we don't expect, that kind of thing. So I work closely with the rules manager and the lead developer of the set to do all of that. Uh, so the set was in development. One of the perks of a wizard's job is that when you first get a job in R&D, you probably don't really know how to do your job yet. Mm -hmm. uh, so while they spend time teaching you, you're kind of useless for a lot of what will become your regular duties, but you're excellent for playtesting because everyone does know how to play Magic. So uh, that sounds like a dream come true. <laughs> everyone who joins R&D winds up doing a lot of playtesting in their first month or two that they're there. And so I had just joined R&D. Conspiracy 2 was doing development playtesting. That meant I did a lot of Conspiracy 2 playtesting. That's awesome. And when you say it's it's out of design, that specifically means that the I, like the world um, and sort of like what they're planning for the set is done, and now they're into developing the actual cards, or? No, that's, uh, so there's definitely an ex sort of a phase where they explore the world and talk about what, you know, what it means to return to a world or mm -hmm. to come to a world for the first time. Uh, but the actual design phase is does have a card file that they hand off, and its, mo its purpose is really to give manifest those orig original ideas you know mm -hmm. if someone's like you know we want a mechanic that creates you know like a lot of attacking or things like that like right. that's that would be kind of like exploratory or vision work and then design is going to come up with cards that manifest what you know we now know is goad you know mechanic right. that really gotcha. incentivizes that kind of thing so so your first few months maybe or a few weeks there you play tested a lot and then you said it was convoluted so what did that <laughs> what's the convolution like what what uh did that evolve into as far as working on the set uh well i mean so i i initially was not really working on the set proper i was just uh -huh. play testing it but uh i am a card set editor and that means i need card sets to edit uh and i sort of have specialized in ancillary products since i got to wizards our favorite um, products, by the way. <laughs> I, I also like them a lot, so I was super excited to be able to do that. And Conspiracy 2 didn't really have an editor when I showed up, and rather than give it to have one of the more experienced people have to make time right. for that for that set, uh, they decided to let, let me try it for a little while and see how it goes. Uh -huh. uh, and it wound up going well enough that I was just made the lead editor of the set. Uh, I still had a lot of help from the senior editors around uh, Tim Ayton and Del Loggle, uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. and Matt Tabak was still on our team at that point, uh, as well as being rules manager. So all, all of those guys were super helpful at making sure that I didn't screw up too badly, and <laughs> we, uh, it was an interesting experience. I, I learned a ton doing Conspiracy 2, and I'm still learning more every day. So. I'm presuming that R&D specifically focuses on standard as sort of like the top priority, right? Sort of the standard sets that are coming out year by year, and the ancillary sets have separate teams for them, it seems like, or at least are, because you were saying the, the editor mm -hmm. would have to sort of make time for a set like this. Uh, it was more just, you know, we produce a lot of products, and one of the reasons I was hired in the first place was that the editing team was overworked with the sheer number of gotcha. them. Gotcha. So it was all, that's just how it's been, you know, you always got to make time. I wouldn't say that we do um, less attention necessarily, like, for example, oh, right, right. Yeah, Conspiracy yeah. Take the Crown got you know, a full design team, full development cycle, full editing cycle, like those are all the same things standard gets. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't have an FFL, you know, testing standard decks. Uh, which, which is the future, future league. 
mm-hmm. um, for the listeners that don't know, which is a league within Wizards that is testing stuff really far ahead of time, correct? Uh, yeah, let, let, yeah, pretty far ahead, and it's more, it's like a team, really, right. it's, uh, and it changes, people in R&D rotate in and out, but there's usually, you know, a couple of core developers who mm-hmm. really keep things solid, and... But you don't need that for team. something like Conspiracy, because it's not going to interact with the other sets in the same right. way, so I would think that's, like, more of a thing where, like, when Kaladesh comes out, you have to worry about how that's going to interact with the sets that are going to be in the block, both before and after, but Conspiracy... Right, it's just right. like alone. it's going to be standalone. So you just you don't need a future future league. It's going to work within itself anyway. Yeah. You don't need a future future league, but there are that we did consult with uh, the developers who do make up the FFL team. You know, to see, hey, like, do you think this card is too strong in Legacy? Right, right. Do you think oh, this card right. might be unfun in cubes or in Commander? You know, because we want to make sure that the formats that Conspiracy Two is legal in is bringing fun cards. You guys and, actually do yeah. say, is this card too powerful for Commander? Uh, I mean, yes. We definitely ask. We more we're more interested in whether it's fun. Right. We don't mm-hmm. mind if it's powerful as long as it is, is also it like enjoyable. Uh, right, because right. you know, if a card is unfun and also like obnoxiously powerful, then there's not a lot of reason to give it to the commander audience <laughs> right. because they're going to naturally skew away from it themselves. You know, when you start losing friends for your cards, it's like not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great to hear. I'm glad I was wrong. I'm glad that there is like sort of equal attention paid across all these sets because conspiracy, again, like we said, is one of our favorite sets of all time. Um, now, what was your experience with the original set? I remember you saying earlier that you hadn't played it as much. Yeah, I was working in LA. Uh, when the original set came out, so I was quite busy. I wasn't playing quite as much Magic, although uh, I did start playing a little bit more towards the end before I got hired, uh, ironically enough. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I did a couple of drafts, and I enjoyed it, generally. Uh, I knew that there was something there. Like mm-hmm. I really liked the idea of conspiracies. I really liked the idea of how they could interact with things like Cube and Commander and yeah, offer certainly. this space uh, to explore cards that you know we don't get a lot of in Standard, because you just can't print that many cards cater to this audience in a standard format but when you can have like a whole set dedicated to that audience that's great you know really fun so it was sort of doing a lot of the same work that the annualized commander product does but in Mm -hmm. a totally new experience which is very impressive Uh, that that was the thing that struck me the most about it is it was just another way to play magic and clearly it did well enough for a second set so it it did at least that well yeah yeah yes Josh, you contributed to approximately I think 5% we, of that. Our playgroup <laughs> had to be a big chunk of the percentage. of I mean, We played the, the crap out of it. But it's it's perfect for Commander players, and we always encourage people to try Conspiracy and, and now Conspiracy 2 because it, it really is just a draft format of Commander. It's, it's really made for, and Jimmy and I have said this many times too, which is that our two favorite formats are Commander and Draft. Mm-hmm. And so C- Conspiracy is like made for us because that's what the set is. Um, it's a nice wedding of the two. I'd say. Yeah, there's a huge overlap, I think, in what those audiences enjoy. Yes, as far as those those Venn diagram circles go. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I do also like that there are slices on the outside where you can find something different in each one. Right. Yeah. Certainly. Um, now, you said to us before we started the podcast, you were on a design mini team. What is that? Yeah, it, uh, it was actually during the development cycle. Uh, but mini teams are pretty typical in R and D. They happen with every set. Uh, they're usually centered around very specific needs of the set, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a way for the developer, the lead developer wants some additional insights or ideas. You know, there is a core team of usually five to six people who are generating a lot of example cards and mechanic ideas and things like that in both standard and ancillary products. Like, that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Uh, but 
if you just want to generate more or get some outside input, a lot of the time we'll do mini teams uh, where, you know, they'll be like, here's a mechanic, like build cards with this or come up with a new mechanic. Oh, cool. uh, or story characters like Planeswalkers and moments that we manifest on cards like Imprisoned in the Moon, which is a card I built in a mini team. That uh, card, by the way was my standout card for, like, this is a commander card through and through. For <laughs> everyone that's looking at this set, like, you want this. Yeah, I, I really like, personally, story. Like, I, I, my background in Magic is actually very competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played on the Pro Tour, and I used to play PTQs really regularly, and that was just all I did all the time. Uh, but in t- And so I know I can do work on these teams that are building cards that, you know, might be targeted at constructed formats or things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really think that as far as designing cards go, I'm actually better at top-down designs where it's like I need a card that, you know, manifests or evokes this particular event or sensation. Like, what does that card look like? And those are the cards I really like to work on. Right. So for Conspiracy 2, the mini team I went on, uh, we did we looked at cards that would might might wind up being legacy playable that was one of the things that we talked about doing uh so like sanctum prelate and i think recruiter of the guard may i know sanctum prelate did come out of that mini team i'm not sure if recruiter of the guard was already in the file or not at that point right uh and i was on a mini team for the sets planeswalkers as well uh, right. where we talked about Doretti and Kaya, Ghost Assassin. And Kaya is your design right it is really really close to like what i submitted to the mini team uh Basically, I think the numbers were very close, if not the same, mm-hmm. uh, and then we added a little bit to the first ability, but the other two abilities are just exactly what I submitted, uh, nice. which was submitted based on work done by Kelly Diggs, who, you know, he was like, we have this character, gave a little bit about her background and her power set, mm-hmm. and that, and he was like, you know, we need to build this build this Planeswalker character, like, you know, make and make her cool, and I was like, okay, and so I knew Conspiracy 2 wasn't a standard set, so Planeswalkers don't have the same kind of burden that they have in standard where, you know, they have to appeal to a lot of audiences mm-hmm. and you have to also make sure that they you're not accidentally it. doing something really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jace, uh, Jace, Mons Culture, Mons Culture. We actually haven't talked about Kaya Ghost Assassin on the channel yet, so let's just briefly read the card. Sure. Uh, it's a brand new Planeswalker, two, a white and a black, comes out with five loyalty. Uh, she's Planeswalker, Kaya, the Ghost Assassin. Yeah, we did talk about her one episode, but just yeah. Yeah, still read it. Yeah. Zero. Not very many planeswalkers with zero abilities, by the way. I really like this. Exile, Kaya, Ghost Assassin, or up to one target creature. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep. You lose two life. Minus one, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. And minus two, each opponent discards a card and you draw a card. So there's no ultimate ability here. She starts with five, which is really impressive. Um, but I really love her zero the most. What... Was that a part of your original design to sort of like flicker her out for a yeah, that cycle? Yeah, the flicker was actually the first thing I had for the Planeswalker because as soon as Kelly was like, hey, I have this Planeswalker and she's got ghost powers basically and like affects ghosts, I was like, okay. like <laughs> That seems like flickering. Immediately, like flickering certainly comes to mind, but also I was, I'm personally very enamored with Planeswalkers that function in unique ways. Uh-huh. Uh, like Sark and the Mad is one of my favorite Planeswalkers. Uh, Dur- uh, Tybalt is actually a planeswalker I like, even though he's bad. Because you don't hear that very often. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like the the boldness of the design. You know, like, I like planeswalkers that push the boundary of what you expect. Uh, right, uh, a right. planeswalker like Obnixilus Reignited, for example, is certainly strong. Like sees constructed play, but he's sort of what you come to expect. All from those a abilities are like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like okay, yeah, like that lines up with sort of what I imagine it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing a planeswalker. 
that didn't have an ultimate to build to was interesting to me, and also a planeswalker that didn't have a plus. Right. Because uh, that, in, that, in that way, she's kind of the opposite of Elspeth, who was all pluses in right. her first incarnation. And so I really like wanted to play around with that idea, and the flicker just played supernaturally with that. My first version of Kaya actually didn't have the ability to exile a creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was suggested by another member of the mini-team. I, I think it was Ken Nagel, actually. The, the mini-team was being led by Yanni Skolnick, uh, and Brian Hawley, who, who are both developers, and Ken Nagel, who is a designer, and they were all the, the experienced members of the team. I played uh, Conspiracy 1 with Ken Nagel, mm-hmm. and I killed him with a Trastodon. He was not <laughs> happy about it. <laughs> I don't know why he wouldn't be happy. Ken loves big green creatures. <laughs> I know, he signed the Trastodon later, actually. Yeah, so he, he just he doesn't love was. being killed. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he did like it, who knows. So... Yeah. In your original incarnation, could Kaya only flicker herself? And yeah, that's it? she she only flickered herself, and I also being uh, not smart didn't tag the two life onto it. So you could just cast Kaya and then just flicker her until you were ready to take control of the game, which right. you can do in Commander because the two life don't matter. Don't matter. We'll see. We'll see about we'll that. See, yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, not conspiracy. Commander, <laughs> the two life don't matter. In conspiracy, the two life matters. But yeah, I, I, it was either Yanni or Brian who suggested the two life, and Ken who suggested we make it a creature, just because people would find that more appealing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, yeah, that that obviously sounded pretty good. But the Siphon Soul and Siphon Mind were exactly my pitches, and those just stuck because those also felt very ghostly to me. Right. Uh, the idea that she drains. Uh, that's especially like you know she has these cool daggers that do this work on ghosts mm-hmm. and those call to mind a number of you know various enchanted weapons throughout the history of fantasy uh, storytelling <laughs> and they all of those kinds of weapons are very draining so I was like well, you know, let's play into that trope that we have right. well it's interesting because the siphon soul which is the um, you drain your opponents for two each and then you gain two life they've changed the wording recently and I'm assuming you're part of this be, I'm assuming because of commander it used to be you <laughs> would gain the amount of life lost. Yeah, that's that's a knob. Uh, it's been certainly turned. I think that generally speaking, cards have just gone in that direction. Yeah. It's not a decision mm-hmm. I've been particularly a part of, but just in general, we tend to do the drain and not have it scale super aggressively. Which I think is good because mm-hmm. some of the most powerful, maybe, well, some of the most powerful cards in Commander are the ones that feel like they're broken because multiplayer exists and yeah. they weren't mm-hmm. designed for it. So it's nice to know that you guys are actually thinking of, like, okay, yeah. well, how does this work in multiplayer also? Yeah. Because like, it'd be so easy to build this card and not... Oh, goodness, it's in Conspiracy, so maybe it's not the best example. But I have noticed that as a thing over just the last few sets. Certainly. I mean, I, I don't think the per- people who put a nerve in Urza Saga for the first time, you know, expected to see Conspiracy coming along down the right. road. <laughs> and, like, it's great that a nerve is doing that. Yeah, uh, yeah. It caters for this audience. But, yeah, like... The things that scale with the number of players are actually just a lot harder to balance, I, I imagine, is one of the concerns. And mm-hmm. without an FFL to make sure that things are balanced, it's just it's very safe Safer. and easy. Yeah. Yeah, to yeah, and it doesn't necessarily underpower the card either. Like, the ability to drain everyone of two and you're only gaining two is still, still pretty good. Um, yeah. Now, a side note, there are 221 cards in the set, but there is a 222nd card, which is Kaya Ghost Assassin, but with an alternate art. Did you have any idea that this was going to be a part of the set? Uh, I did, I was, it was sort of pitched to me, uh, I think it was actually Jeremy Jarvis, mm-hmm. uh, who is, uh, one of the leads on our world's team, and he was like, hey, you know, do you think this would be cool? We're thinking about doing it as, you know, an additional way to make Kaya more awesome. Everybody's supposed really... to say, no, that's not cool at all. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, like, who's no. gonna say that? My God, <laughs> you are <laughs> that. I, And the funniest thing is, like, my, my, I was just like, you know, oh, 
like we did in Plane Shift with Tangarth and Urtai. Sweet! And it's like, that's just, so, it's so long ago, but like, I remember it when I was like this tiny child, mm -hmm. uh -huh. those cards were awesome to me. Like, I saw that that had happened, and I was like, oh, I gotta get that Urtai. Yeah, Like, yeah. that card's so cool. And, and yeah, that was your I, card. I mean, I never did get the Urtai, but I did get the card. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm I, sure someone missed the Urtai. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was, I was really thrilled that we were gonna do that, and I think both arts are great. And it's just really cool. Uh, I was I was happy that we we sort of kept it under wraps long enough for someone to discover it. Yeah, that was, uh, that was which great. was really fun too. Yeah, that's my favorite. Is when something that is purposefully a secret takes the appropriate amount of time to be revealed. Actually, it's very uh, supernatural, kind of like Kaya. It was great. <laughs> she the the art flickered in at the right time. Glenn, what to you is the most important thing that makes like conspiracy as a thing what it is. Well, I mean, I think multiplayer obviously is the, the yeah. biggest thing people think about. Uh, but especially in today's world, you know, we have a ton of awesome story going on. And I really like the world of Fiora. So I was I was glad that Conspiracy 2 returns there and, and that it's sort of become its home. So this idea of this this multiplayer attached kind of plane and this so it's got a story and gameplay experience that are actually woven together, yeah. uh, that is, I think, my actual favorite part about it. And we get to show these characters, some new, some old, you know, like D Doretti returning is awesome, and you see Doretti's black, now it's like, oh, what does that mean? And mm -hmm. you know, we, we got to just do a ton of cool things narratively that, you know, it's not the main focus of our story. Like, Fiora is this, like, kind of side plane, there isn't mm -hmm. a lot going on over there, but... Uh, that's related to our main story, I should right, say. Right, you know, right, there's tons right. of people getting murdered left and right. That's <laughs> kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, Brago gone down. I actually I love the the original sort of the the teasing of the set when it came out, sort of like the like what's happening here, like how is Marchesa like sort of coming mm -hmm. and being my personal favorite commander too. It was great to see a character that otherwise doesn't get much love in the magic story, yeah. just because it doesn't tie into like the Gatewatch or sort of our main characters currently. An aspect of that that I also was associated with was the. Uh, the letters or proclamations that we did on the ad cards oh, for Eternal yeah. Masters. Yeah, I edited and put together those along with our excellent typesetting team, which you know, deserve a ton of credit for lining all of those up on the edges of cards. Yeah, if you did that know, was crazy. Yeah. yeah, in Eternal Masters, on the back of the tokens cards, you would see like half. Uh, of a line of text that was cut in half and you had to line up every token to make a proclamation from Marchesa and Brago, right? Uh, Adriana. Adriana. Yeah, right? it was it was Marchesa's proclamation that she was now queen and Brago had died and she was the rightful heir because of reasons. Uh, and also, you know, the note that there was a little bit of rebellion going on and you guys should ignore that. And then Adriana, who is in open revolt, like, this is, no, like, this is wrong. Like, right. Brago forever, Marchesa's an assassin, says so right on her type line. Was there anything that, that from the design team's perspective, had to return from the original set that they, they were like, this is such a hit, this has to be back in the new set? Uh, again, like, I, I wasn't on the design team proper, but certainly there are tenets of conspiracy, right? You know, mm -hmm. there's conspiracies themselves, uh, obviously. Those are certainly the biggest things that definitely have to come back. Right. Uh, outside of that, I know that they wanted to touch back on returning characters because that's the cachet of Fiora. Mm -hmm. uh, and the draft action cards, which... You know, they're very different this time around. Last time, everything was manifested through artifacts and cog work. And now we have this narrative where the Academy of Fiora has been dismantled. Muzio's gone, and mm -hmm. there aren't any artifacts really around. You'll notice the set is really artifact light. 
compared to its predecessor. And right. instead, now there's like a lot of color, and the draft action is really pulling you into directions as opposed to being the, these knobs that everyone has access to during the draft, uh, which I do think makes things a lot different. You guys do, obviously, when you came in, you did a lot of playtesting in, gr- in sort of the office. Um, and I'm guessing multiplayer playtesting doesn't happen as much because sets like Conspiracy come around you know, once every two years at this current rate. Um, do you guys mostly do testing in office to figure out how multiplayer works? Or is there a lot of sort of like anecdotal evidence of like, oh, we play Commander every Monday, so we also have stories from this that we can take into our testing here? Uh, it's it's funny, actually, because we do a lot of play testing. Like I mentioned, uh, it was just the primary thing I was really doing when I first mm-hmm. joined up was actually play testing Conspiracy 2. I think I play tested it probably like myself four or five times, mm-hmm. maybe more, and I certainly wasn't on every playtest. But another thing that we do is make playtesting available to departments outside of R&D. Uh, we certainly bring, we bring in people from all over the company if they're interested in magic and mm-hmm. want to see what we're doing and want to offer their feedback and opinions. Because R&D, they're super experienced and diverse group of people, but at the same time, you know, they all tend to come from similar backgrounds where they're very enfranchised with Magic. Right. A lot of them have been playing Magic for a really long time. So they have a certain perspective or knowledge, and they might miss things that we would learn from less experienced or differently experienced players. That's which, great. fortunately, the company is full of people. Uh, you know, a lot of people come to Wizards to work just because it's a great company, not necessarily because they know we're particularly in love with Magic. So mm-hmm. we actually get a number of first-time players in on playtests sometimes. And those players are really useful for making sure that a set is accessible, right. uh, which is which is nice. And Conspiracy 2 benefited from that. Uh, as far as specifically multiplayer playtesting, in addition to the playtesting we did for Conspiracy 2, we do have in constant rotation the, the Commander annualized release, and that is playtested pretty extensively. So mm-hmm. multiplayer dynamics are really uh, actually pretty well known among the members of teams that actually work on the ancillary products that involve them. So there's there's a lot of talk about that. Like we have a pretty good grasp on it, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that I, I don't think we have to rely on that much theory crafting for multiplayer, which is nice uh, yeah, because yeah, it would it would be difficult and a little daunting. Yeah, and if you're playtesting also 99 card decks, you'd obviously need to get in more and more tested because you're trying to figure out what is the consistent, what stays consistent, mm-hmm. what works, what, mm-hmm. what doesn't. So I really think it can fun. look from the outside because guys like you, Glenn, Gavin, we know, Melissa DeTora, these are all like really high-level, spiky one-on-one players, and so... I think there's maybe a view from the yeah. outside of like, well, those people developing the Commander product doesn't seem right, but you play Commander. We play Commander mm-hmm. with yeah. Gavid many times. We even play Commander with Melissa. Yeah. I think people don't understand that the because it looks from the outside again mm-hmm. like these people are going to care about winning when we care about something else maybe as I, in I, general. I care about winning. I care about winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, and I think that's not true at all from the from the interactions we've had with the Wizards people when we've played a, yeah. A, yeah. A, a good amount. So Specifically worth calling out for this product is actually Ben Hayes was the lead developer. Uh, Sean Main was the lead designer, mm-hmm. picking back up where he left off. Uh, but Ben Hayes, uh, his other lead development credit before Conspiracy 2 was Commander 2015. Oh, okay. So he went Commander 2015, Conspiracy 2. He's also the lead developer for Commander 2016. Mm-hmm. So And Ben is this player... Very, very experienced, comes from a very competitive background. He's played in plenty of Pro Tours, more than I have for sure. And he's still bringing a lot of talent and a lot of great just design and development work. And I've worked with Ben a lot now, uh, so I I just continue to gain a lot of respect for him. And 
he's also a great developer to edit, I guess, even yeah. with all the weirdness that goes on in those sets. And I feel like, you know, because when you work for Wizards, you're no longer allowed to compete in those level of competitive events, and you're, you're joining the team to make cards for the love of the game. I feel like that really also contributes to, like, hey, we're here to, like, if we're making a multiplayer set, like, we're trying to make the best set as possible. Like, our personal interests almost take a small sidestep because we're trying to build something that's sort of bigger than the sum of our parts. But that's just mine. I'm just theorizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's that's fair. There there might be some of that going on. I don't know. I, ben Ben takes pretty seriously all of his work, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's he's really easy to work with, and he is consistently just churning out some of my personal favorite sets, both you know before and after yeah. I started working here. So um, let's talk favorites. Uh, we'll go through all of these. Josh, and you, you may not be able to answer these <laughs> as much because you haven't played as much. But let's start off with what is everyone's favorite mechanic from the set? And it can be a new one, it can be a returning one. Um, I'm currently a big fan of Monarch. Mm. I think it's interesting to see how it's played out so far because, again, in Conspiracy, I found that people like to deck themselves over a course of a game, and some people are now playing 45, 50-card decks. And there's been a lot of times where someone's the Monarch and everyone goes, we don't care, draw your extra card, we watch you get precariously low to decking yourself, and we know that whatever you draw as the rest of the table deciding to just sort of bunker up, we can sort of defeat you with it. And that, that was something I did not expect, because I expected Monarch to be passed left and right just from the appeal of drawing a card your end would be too great for someone not to be like, I'll swing at you for one in the air or whatever. What's your favorite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, Josh, deep in thought over here. Uh, yeah, I actually, I am a big fan of Goad. Uh, it's just really fun. Uh, I like... I like being able to manipulate people. It comes up in a lot of my favorite games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being able to uh, determine and predict player behavior and especially pit people against one another. Uh, I just love all of the things that Goad lets you do. And it's it's got a little... It's interesting because Goad is also operating in this really temporal space, right? Like mm-hmm. as the ga- as you get closer to winning the game, Goad gets worse. Because right. once you're in a two-player game, Goad is mostly <laughs> just that creature has to attack me. And odds are good that it was probably going to do that anyway if it's a real creature. Right. But in the sweet spot, like in the mid-game where you guys are all jockeying for position, just sending a creature the wrong way, uh, really, really strong. It makes you prioritize. Like It's like, great, I can block your 2-2 with my 1-3. Like. Mm-hmm. And the person goes like, well, I guess I'll swing at you. <laughs> so you really want to find the sweet spot for that. It, having not played it a lot, um, you know, the conspiracies to me are still like mm-hmm. sort of the thing. I just love having cards that don't aren't in my deck but are doing like making my deck better. <laughs> Which Commanders and conspiracies, you really like that those yeah. extra cards yeah. in your starting it's just hand. <laughs> like sweet. I get I get stuff before it's, I've even done anything. Yeah. <laughs> Untouchable enchantments is Yeah, I, I find that. it very, very hard to pass any conspiracy for any reason. Like it's just like I don't know because uh, especially like pass pack pick six or something it's just like this card will do something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i don't even have to put it in my deck whereas i don't you know there are a lot of times like I, I don't even know what color i am yet so this i think there was a good job done where the conspiracies do a lot of them do have colors tied to them so you might pass them for that reason but even right. today when i was drafting i was like i'm not in blue but this blue conspiracy seems really good i'm just going to take it because if i do end up being able to play any blue cards it'll be great mm-hmm. so I just love the conspiracy mechanic. You, but you drafted this one today, right? Uh, yes, Emissary's Ploy. This mm, has to be one of my favorites. Yes, yeah, the story was I'm drafting Gavin standing behind me. <laughs> it's like pack, It's like pick seven or eight, and it comes around, and I look at it, and I turn to Gavin, and I go, this card seems really good, you know, but I haven't drafted the set, and it came around late, so what do I know? And he goes, oh, I designed that card. 
It is really good. You should take it. <laughs> so I did. So it's a uh, it's a conspiracy to start. Which so it starts in your command zone, face up, uh, before the game starts, and you. Before you even draw your opening hand, you choose either one, two, or three, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast creature spells with converted mana cost equal to the chosen number. So I chose two, and that meant all my two drops were basically I could pay any color mana mm-hmm. for them. There which, are a lot of really good two drops in yeah. the set, I think. Well, I think what allows you to do four. is you just say, you pick a number when you draft it, basically, and you just say, well, now I can take any two drops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any two-drop creature, I can just take it. I don't have to worry about you, A couple have activated abilities that require mana, so maybe not every two-drop, but like 90% of them you can just yeah. take. Yeah, Yeah. So, I mean, that card's bonkers. I mean, it could even be three if you draft the next pack and you see, like, Leovold, and you're like, uh, I want to play that card. I changed my I mind. It's yeah, I changed my mind. It's yeah. three now, and then everything from there is three out. Do <laughs> yep. you think two is the sweet number for that? Yeah, that's the number I see chosen basically all of the time. And part of that is that a lot of the three drops uh, have those colored mana activations that you were talking about, Josh. Yeah, uh, right. You know, you've got the Monstrous Guy, you've got the Custody Peacekeeper. There's just a lot of it cards. It doesn't help you to be able to yeah, cast Yeah, like being able to yeah. cast those guards is not as effective. But all the two drops are designed to be pretty strong for whatever deck they go in. And when they can all go in your deck, they're just all going to be naturally quite helpful. Yeah, certainly. Uh, do we have any standouts for favorite card so far on the set? Glenn? You first. I mean, I I guess I should just give it to Kaya. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't Chet see that coming. Really, uh, a card I I'm I saw a picture with. you tweeted. Pack one, pick one was uh, yes, Kaya, right? At, at our Wizards release event. Draft, Talk about karma. My pack yeah. one, pick one was Kaya Ghost Assassin. It was the first Conspiracy two pack I opened. <laughs> and did you end up playing her? Uh, I did. Yeah, I drafted a black white monarch based deck that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Pretty strong. Pretty strong. I enjoyed it. Okay, now what about a non like rare? Not favorite card. You know, like, card? Yeah, Jeering just, Homunculus, hands down. Jeering Homunculus. Dude, the art. By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this. It was on the <laughs> subreddit, but someone made... Did you see the, the deck box someone made of the Jeering Homunculus? Oh, no. I have to find it. I'll pull it. it up right now. But, yeah, Jeering Homunculus is just... A, it's a two-mana, one in the blue for a 0-4, and when it enters the battlefield, you can go the creature. We should um, read Goad, because I don't think we did it. Oh, right. Yeah, good point. So, Goad is... Um, until your next turn, the creature that you goaded attacks each combat if able and attacks a player other than you if able. Yeah, it's like you you injected it with like a, an adrenaline <laughs> like serum. He's like, ah, oh, I gotta go! And they rush at someone, but it's not you. Right. I love that mechanic also in theory. I've never played with it yet. Um, but I, I, yeah. I tend to hate mechanics that force you to make enemies and love mechanics that force other people to make enemies of mm-hmm. each other. And this is in other people make enemies of each other. Because if you goad somebody, especially in a four-player game, you goad them, they have to attack some one of the other two players, and either player can get mad they got attacked because you could have still chosen the other player. Yeah, so yep. it's and off in, of you entirely. And it's off of you entirely, <laughs> so it's just great. such a great mechanic. Yeah, yeah, here it is, Glenn. We'll put this on the video as well, but it's this incredible tech box oh that, that stands this on its own. This is incredible. <laughs> and can hold 100 double C cards. What? Yeah, the, the, the amount of attention and love to just this card that got previewed mm-hmm. out of nowhere is insane. I, I love it to death. The, the fact that someone was like, I'm just going to make this into a, the most unique unique deck yeah. box ever made. Credit to our story and worlds team uh, for bringing us all the things that make that card that awesome. Yeah, too. certainly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think my favorite card that is not a rare would be Storm Chaser Chimera. Oh. Uh, this card, I I was already drafting a blue and red deck. It's a, it's a two, a blue, and a red for a two, three Chimera with flying, and you can pay two red and blue and scry one, 
then reveal the top card of your library and Storm Chaser Chimera gets plus X plus O until end of turn where X is that card's converted mana cost. So 2-3 I think is really important. Uh, the 3-toughness I think is good in this set and it can just beat down people in the sky. And also if you don't attack people with it, you just get a scry every turn. It's a scry one. Great yeah. mana sink, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great mana sink. Um, not to mention I did win the game with it, so it has a small, <laughs> a bit of a special place in my heart because I gave it fire breathing with conspiracy. <laughs> it's a good, oh, man. It's a good card in Joyra too, everybody. Just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got all like a twelve casting cost Eldrazi. You just just drop them. Just destroy yeah. people. Yeah. Plus so plus so. Yeah. Um, How was the I favorite don't have card? A... You, what was the favorite card you drafted? <laughs> well, the card draft? I had the most of was Voyaging Seder. So you do love that, <laughs> which card. is a very Josh card. Yeah, uh, which is uh, it's a two drop. It's a one two. You can tap it to untap a land. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It seems great with all those conspiracies that cost a colored mana to activate. So if it yeah. dies, make a zombie or or give it plus one plus one the green one. Yeah, um, because it makes the mana to do the thing. So if you have three of them, you just stack up those conspiracies. That was my plan anyway. I don't know if it was going to work. I only got to turn four. It seemed yeah. like it was going to work. Yeah, I think Voyaging Seder is really the the green glue. For yeah. th- those archetypes. It it's seems like there's a lot of great. fixing, actually, in the set. There's a bunch of cyclers, explosive vegetation, evolving wild shimmer and grotto, voyaging satyr. Lay of the land. Voyaging satyr is not exactly <laughs> fixing, but it kind of is. Um, yeah, Sylvan Balance. There's, has the all fixing the is really structured to incentivize like two or two with a splash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you are two or two with a splash, then your your man is good. I like, feel like you're not, I feel like oh, there's opaline. Going five too. is hard. I feel like yeah. three though is actually not difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends. Yeah. A lot of the power of being in a given color comes from conspiracies and particular cards. So you get, it gets a little harder to get full value out of your third color uh, unless you're just splashing a powerful card or, mm-hmm. or two or three. Uh, but yeah, like I've definitely seen three color decks that were successful, and all of them featured Voyaging Seder as well to make sure that they could pay the healthier mana requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you're black, green, blue, or whatever, you still want to cast Murder, like, even right. though it's harder, you, yeah, black. you yeah. still want to do it. Yeah. Um, I guess the other vote for my favorite is Stunt Double, because I'm a huge fan of clone cards, and <laughs> a four-mana clone with Flash, pretty good. It seems good. Yeah, I also, uh, that's another card I really like, The story, what the Story and Worlds team brought us with uh, yeah. both the name and the art. The name is really, great. Really yeah, it's pretty sweet. Uh, Mel Lee was actually oh, cool. the names and flavor uh, rep for this. Like, I, I worked closely with her on that, and yeah, she she did a just great job on, uh, I think, all of them. Like, if you like name a name or flavor text in this set, like, odds are you, you have Mel to thank for selecting it or yeah. writing it or hammering it into into the right shape. I think we should also mention that uh, this set is great for a lot of cube enthusiasts out there because of the Draft Matters cards. They add an entirely new sort of dimension to um, drafts. Uh, and you guys said that you design with cube in mind as well and sort of make sure that, like, oh, this would be really yeah. fun in a I cube. I mean, we, we know that people have cubes and that, that they're going to pick up magic cards that are appealing or fun. Those are certainly just things we want to remain aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's definitely a goal. Uh, we, I wouldn't say that we design, like, specifically to cube necessarily. But, right. Yeah, you yeah. know, if, if we have an opportunity, it's always going to be a, something we make sure is good. And especially in a set like Conspiracy 2 where a larger selection of its audience is going to be the kind of people who are enjoying it outside mm-hmm. of just Conspiracy 2, you want to make sure that, that they have something. Yeah. It, it definitely, it's great seeing because, you know, I pay pretty close attention to Twitter and Reddit and all those sort of forums to see what people get excited about. And you see people coming out of the woodwork being like, I'm really excited about this. I don't post very often, but <laughs> this card has me very excited. So that's always great to see sort of like 
the more underserved audiences, uh, because, you know, obviously standard mm-hmm. is a very different dynamic than something like uh, Conspiracy. Um, let's talk about Go to Marlink a little bit. Uh, how early on do you, did everyone sort of know that they wanted to include sort of like these incentivized action cards? Uh, well, they, they were already in the set when I first got to Wizards mm-hmm. and started messing around. Uh, they they had, like, slightly different forms. Uh, I think Goad was mostly the same, although we might have, like, tweaked a thing about the way it specifically works as you wind down to 1v1, uh, mm-hmm. so that I think it may have at one point pacif- like detained the creature functionally uh, versus what it does now, which is pretty close to nothing, or it just instigates the creature. You mean right. when it's 1v1? Yeah, 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 once you're down to one player versus one player. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, you then, can make them run their creature into your, yours, though. Yeah, yeah, it, it comes up, like, it just yeah. shifts. Like, it, once you're at th- two, three or more players, you're usually picking their biggest guy. Yeah. Once you're at two, you're picking the smallest. Small guy just yeah. killing it. Kill, yeah. yeah. So, I like the idea of, like, yelling at the little person, and they're like, okay, fine, I'll contact you. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, gotcha. Then, uh, uh, as far as Monarch goes, I know that it was bounced around for a little bit, and they tried a variety of different effects for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I think the development article for the set, or the design article for the set, actually mentioned that at, at one point it used to make a creature, but they found that a card that traded hands based on having creatures in play that also then made creatures wound up being... Snowball. Both, yeah, snowball, yeah, really, right, right. Just really a, a, little, a little bit much. And the card, I think, is a really great sweet spot. Uh, there's a cost benefit going on just to being the monarch in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it draws fire, but it also fuels your ability, ability to defend yourself. Yeah, just, I, I think it landed in a sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, it seems like a really good mechanic. I think it's pretty obviously like a fixed version of Dethrone, as Dethrone ended up being not that great. Um, but it, it encourages what you want to encourage in a way that... It is, has the same goals. Right, yeah. Dethrone wants you to attack, right? It wants to... Uh, I compare it to the blinds in poker where in <laughs> yep cuz in poker the bl- if you don't know what happens in poker is there are forced bets. So if you have like eight people at the table, two people have to put out a certain amount of money. They have to bet it before you get your cards. And the goal of that in poker is that if you don't have blind bets, then there's no incentive because there's nothing in the pot. So there's no stakes. So you never have to play any cards. So the game just doesn't happen. And but when there's a, something in the pot that you want to grab, now all of a sudden that creates action. People are trying to grab it, so they start betting and they start making moves. The Monarch seems almost exactly that, which is what multiplayer needs. Yeah. Multiplayer magic needs. I think it's actually really good for Commander that Monarch exists, and hopefully we'll get more of it because that can be a problem with our format, which is that there's not a lot of incentive to take action because there's not any short-term goal of action taking whereas mm-hmm. there's only the long-term goal of i kill you but if i an action i'm going to take is not actually going to kill you right now a lot 90 percent of the time it's better to just do nothing and not open the doors to anything happening to me but if there's a short-term goal which monarch gives you monarch we should say is a mechanic where <laughs> finally we explain yeah it. sorry 40 minutes into the podcast <laughs> um we should bring up a card so I can read it exactly because I'm gonna I'm gonna screw it up the wording. But I mean, I, I can certainly oh. just say it. Oh, <laughs> here, here's the guy yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I'm gonna read it. No, go ahead, Glenn. Yeah, a, a variety of cards uh, have the ability. You know, yeah, dot dot dot. You become the monarch. Uh, being the monarch is a status. It's not. It doesn't put anything into play. It's just a designation that the player now possesses, uh, and it just has the effect that at the beginning of your end step. You draw a card. Note that that is a mandatory draw, mm-hmm. not an optional one. And then whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, the controller of that creature gains control of the monarch. They they become the new king. Once somebody's the monarch, 
the ability to become a monarch is on the table. And then anybody right. who hits that monarch becomes the monarch. Mm-hmm. Right. The game doesn't start with the monarch. Right. Uh, a someone... card has to make it. Yeah. 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 Which is great. It's an series of coups. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's great. It's like but, King of the Hill, kind of. I mean, that does so many things, which if... And one of the problems, I think, with the first conspiracy... And again, first conspiracy was awesome. One of maybe the issues was that you got... There was a lot of decking that happened. In our experience, mm-hmm. we actually started playing with four packs because the <laughs> decks weren't powerful enough with three packs for people to win without at least one person being decked most of the time uh, because there wasn't something like driving action. And I think another thing that does for Commander is it gives white and red, especially white, a way to start drawing cards because that in a way that feels good for that color because white, we talk about all the time, just has a real problem in, and now you can have monarch cards, which I think helps white quite a bit. If you just, even just a few, you can count as like card draw cards for you because you were likely to be attacking more. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it might not be the flashiest mechanic or the one that's the most fun, but it, it, it probably will end up being like the mechanic that for multiplayer sort of, the best because that, it's just something we always needed. We just yeah. need something that drives action. It's a it's a thing inherent to any multiplayer game with unforced mm-hmm. action. Like yeah. you you have to give the players a carrot or they won't move. Uh, right. Because it's actually moving disadvantageous. Just, yeah, to moving move. just incentivizes someone to move against you specifically yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, but by providing a carrot, you give people something to gain out of action. And also, depending on the action, you know, maybe they don't want to do it. Like. I've had a lot of games where my goal was specifically to make one person become the monarch because decking them was going to be the easiest way to defeat them. Right. Which uh, is super interesting to me. You talk about that too, Jimmy. Yeah. Where it's like the table sort of goes, okay, let's let's not unmonarch this person because that will actually kill them. That's like your greed killing you. That's so good. Yeah. Well, it's great too because the rest of the table can still swing freely at each other. Yeah. The citizens can squabble while the king's above like, I'm bleeding out. (laughs) Slowly but surely. Um, uh, Let's talk about the set itself and and drafting it and stuff. Um, The set is still fairly new. Uh, I think in general because uh, it's sort of like a very unique experience. People won't be drafting it as much. So as a result, I think there's going to be a lot of um, sleeper Speak hits. for yourself, man. I'm going to drop the crap out of it. Well, I mean, me too. <laughs> but, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's a great set to be like, hey, do you want to try this out, this new thing? Um, uh, and so I feel like a lot of our listeners might be in that group as well. Are there any cards so far that have popped out as sort of the, uh, like, don't overlook this card. It's actually very good. Goad, obviously, like you're saying, Jeering Homunculus, uh, you think is, is, is super powerful. So I really like that as a start. Anyone else? Josh? I don't know yet. I'm actually going <laughs> to... I've got my phone out to take notes when Glenn tells me what well, cards another, are better Another than really... Uh, this, this card is super bread and butter, but uh, I think a lot of people don't evaluate how important cards like this are to just formats in general. Uh, mm-hmm. Negate is actually just a card. Oh, And it's yeah. so simple, like everyone, but... You know, you want to be able to negate some spells. Like, the spells that come your way are often the ones that will kill you, so... I think commander players know the power of negate because in multiplayer, it's just so much better than it is in 1v1. Mm -hmm. You are never going to have a game where you you can't use your negate. Whereas in 1v1, there's going to be games where it just sits in your hand and you never... You're in in trouble, and that's not saving you. But in multiplayer, there's four other players or three other players... There's gonna be something that comes your way during the course of the game that's important that you you get rid of for two mana. And yeah. I found that in almost every game there comes a situation where it goes, if this player dies next to me, then I'm guaranteed done for because whatever they're doing is providing some kind of safe haven yeah. for me. And if someone else goes after them, negating someone else's spell targeting someone else gains you both an ally and also will potentially save your life. Um, 
One thing I found that has been pretty effective so far is um, there aren't that many board wipes in the format, but there are a lot of X1s and a lot of X2s. So uh, both Fester Gloom and Infest I've found have been like five for ones, six for ones, four for ones every single time they've been played. So I think Infest is just very powerful on the set, um, especially if you can build your deck around not having a bunch of X2s that will die when you play it. But You know my rule of all multiplayer drafting cube, multiplayer cube, don't pass board wipes. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good. Um, and then the So other... they're the only cards that get you out of certain jams. Like there's so yeah. many times where you look around and the only card that would ever save you is a board wipe. Yeah. There's very few times where you say, well, the only card that will ever save me is, you know, a 5-5. Five five. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really like all the monstrous cards. Uh, monstrous is, a, is mm. a mechanic from Theros block, correct? Yeah. Uh, and it just, it, it gives you a regular creature and then you can at any point pay an additional amount of mana and it'll say monstrosity and the number and you put that number of plus one plus one counters on it and a lot of times that will also come with an additional effect like sinuous vermin's just a two two for two but you monstrous it it becomes a five five with menace which all of a sudden can just straight up kill someone in the game um and it's nice too because there are so many turns where you just draw a card and say pass because you don't want to do anything you don't want to attack and you have instance in your hands and you also have more options available to you so I like that a lot. It reminds me of sort of why Eldritch Moon uh, has been one of my more favorite sets recently is because of all the the werewolves have all similar monstrous abilities, but just to flip onto their other side. Mm -hmm. Well, mana sinks are just so powerful, especially in games where we've talked about decking, so you know the games are going to go a little bit long. So just having mana sinks because there's just going to be times where you don't have cards in your hand, being able to use your mana is just going to be better than not being able to use your mana because... If you if, let's say I have a monstrous creature and you don't, and we both are top decking, yeah. like how much better position am I in? Because I have a turn where I draw a land and I play it, and now I do something, and you draw a land and you did nothing. Yeah, uh, I obviously was familiar with monstrous before working at Wizards. Uh, I actually really liked the Theros uh, Born Journey mm-hmm. limited format. I saw a ton of success in that, and monstrous was a really appealing mana sink. And I specifically, when I first saw it, you know, it called to mind. For me, Kavu Titan, in, in some ways, who was like the poster child for Kicker when it first came mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. ages and ages ago, you know? Right, it's a number. it's a bear if you need a bear, or if you don't need a bear, it's something else later on for a little more mana. Yeah. And so Monstrous <laughs> is has some similar action. It plays differently. A lot of Monstrous cards from Theros Block specifically started out pretty big and just got much bigger. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but it plays a little closer to Kavu Titan in Conspiracy 2, where the Monstrous creatures are smaller or mid-sized and then just become... Supersized uh, with a like a lot of times they do something around yeah a little, not, a little knob yeah. to make it into a legitimate fatty so it's like you know sometimes you just want a three mana two three to block sometimes your deck needs a benthic behemoth just so you have some giant hexproof guy to attack with well scattering crustacean the man for you yeah <laughs> scattering crustacean yeah amazing card so far hexproof always good um, the invertebrate for you I guess I should yeah say. <laughs> <laughs> I've also found that life gain we always talk about how it's just uh, not good it's so good in conspiracy yeah though. it's just not good in commander but someone had a sangromancer out and Oof. played an infest and all of a sudden that person was not just winning the game they were dominating the game because they yeah. could freely swing the crackbacks did yep. nothing to them and if you ever block them swinging they were just going to gain back the life that you were potentially going to do them damage wise yeah. life is very valuable in a game that is all about position well yeah. and you think about that's one big difference you have to calculate is we're used to commander 40 life is a big thing yeah in commander because if if you have two players attack you and you have 40 life it's like one player attacked you in a 20 life game if you have two players attack you in 20 life game that's like 
It's like two players attacked me. That's like, like, yeah, you know, that, that's like somebody got an extra turn against you, yeah. basically. So it's just so so much, life gains so much better. I still wouldn't play like a card that said, give me eight life, but mm-hmm. yeah, like a recurable, even gain one life a turn type of yeah. card is just very, very good. A uh, deck I tried to draft recently and I had to audible out of because ooh. the red was getting cut, uh, which wound up being my winning white-blue deck. But I was trying to get into the Gutter Snipe Reviving Dose deck, which is actually oh. pretty sweet. Gain life, deal damage to every opponent. And draw a card. And yeah, draw a card. you yeah. just Lightning Helix everybody. That seems, <laughs> that seems decent. Is uh, Blue-White still good? Because I thought it was the best. Oh, it's, it's been I good I thought it was me. the best uh, in, yeah, in Conspiracy. I've, I've won with pretty much everything. Uh, I hope to continue to do so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like Blue. White can pair with every color. In interesting in different ways. You know, you've got white-red, which is go-wide, pretty aggressive, can mm-hmm. play a lot of cards that other people won't, like Trumpet Blast. Uh, and then you can go into blue-white, very controlling, totally different. White-black, monarch-based, like mm-hmm. that's all about manipulating card advantage and drain effects, also totally different. And then white-green, bring the beef, like size everyone up. <laughs> it also can go wide with strength and numbers as a, as a payoff instead. Uh, so, like, yeah, white is really versatile, but the valuations on certain cards switch pretty significantly depending on what your second color is. So if you're drafting white, it's a lot harder to just stay the course in white and then pick up your second color. You're way more likely to have a color and then pick up the white cards you need. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do some, uh, let's do some, when when should you draft it? Garbage fire. It's two in a red for an instant. Uh, (laughs) You reveal garbage fire as you draft it and you know how many cards you've drafted this draft round, including garbage fire. So it's per pack. So if you draft this card third, uh, it's three. If you draft it fourth, it's four. And Garbage Fire is a two in red for an instant that deals damage to target creature equal to the highest number you know for cards named Garbage Fire. Where is the sweet spot here? I've seen it go for eight. Well, I think I it depends like, on what? what? <laughs> it's got to depend on what pack, right? Because in, in, in the first pack, you could take it lower hoping to get another one. In a later pack? Because well, the, I, think it, I think the reverse is true, actually. Ah. Uh, because if you take it early in pack one, then they know not to pass you later ones because... And that way it'll, it'll be like passing you too. True, but you also don't want to pick it because you, because somebody else is already sort of on it, right? Well, if it's getting to a high enough number, like yeah. for the, for example, you know, like let's say I take an early one, like second or third, right. planning to gamble. Now we're in pack two. It's pick six or something. Someone sees a garbage fire. Like, okay, I could pass him this, and now his, his garbage fire pay is... three deal three turns into pay three deal seven yeah, twice. That's a good point. Or I could just take this, put a mountain in my deck, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll take my two R deal six. Uh, not too shabby. You know, I think I think there's some temptation. If I it mean, was no one one's RR, passing it at six, right? Six is. I saw it go yeah, to like, eight. I don't know why. I was baffled. I was also one more pick away from me who had two. Yeah. You so. just have to, it has to get on three, and then somehow the next three people just aren't in red. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think because it's 2R, it's a lot harder to get them late, so I prefer to not Five, pick six. them in pack one much at all, unless it's pretty late. Like, I'll pick four is right about where I start picking it in pack mm-hmm. one, and I, I don't think I would take one for less. Yeah, four, it's a fireball, kind of, you know. It's... Uh, I mean, you know, there's there's some limitations. A lot of the cards that wind up killing you are Aren't really annoying big. and yeah. big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not to mention Flame Slash is at one yeah. man as a sorcery speed and does four, so you have to think, you kind of have to compare those two both at common. Um, Animus of Predation, this card I love. Four mm-hmm. and a green for a four four. You draft it face up, and as you draft it, as you draft a card, you can remove it from the draft face up, and you just sort of tuck it under the Animus of Predation. And if you remove a creature card with flying from the draft, 
uh, under Animus Predation, this card now has flying. And if you remove a creature with first strike, and now it's first strike, it does it for double strike, death touch, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, and vigilance, everything but trample. So what are the sweet spots here? Because you would say hexproof, but I think there's only one hexproof card in the set with Ascend the Law Mage. Yeah, uh, there's a ton of awesome Animus Predations. In general, you want to try and get flying and lifelink mm -hmm. above everything else. Those are the two yeah. most important ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you can get some other abilities, but... The, the, this is the gravy spot. Like you're just flying, lifelink, boom, I have a Baneslayer Angel. But on, <laughs> on this one, you can take a card that's not... Like, it doesn't care about the color of the card or anything, No, right? it does not. No, yeah. So you, you can get, like, late pick something with any yeah. ability. Late it's pick. just like... Ascended Law Mage is actually not that uncommon to get late because you have to be white-blue yeah, to yeah. take it. And oh, my God. Lifelink that's vigilance. Why, that's like, why this card seems proof. amazing Ugh. is because what you're going to do is take the picks 12, 13, 14... And which you wouldn't even play in your deck, and you're you're actually adding value to your deck with it. Like, yeah. like I'm not in blue, but I can take a Vaporkin mm -hmm. and yep. give this thing flying. Well, every pick becomes exciting from ten and on or whatever because mm -hmm. you're like, what well, can I? Am I gonna get a child yeah. of night? Yeah, if I, like, <laughs> like, yeah, I can either get a card that's in my color, or I can get a card that has an ability that will go on this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, capital punishment, good or bad or great. <laughs> I think this card is great. I've had a lot of arguments. I've never seen it played, and I've never had it played against me yet. So it's four black, black. It's one of the few vote cards in the set, Council's Dilemma. Uh, it's a sorcery. Starting with you, each player votes for death or taxes, and each, each opponent sacrifices a creature for each death vote and discards a card for each taxes vote. But it costs six mana. The argument I've heard against it is that at that point, everyone's just going to vote for discard because they'll have no hand size. Or everyone can sort of play around it, quote in quotes, based on what their board is. They'll have enough creatures that one won't do it because right. you're you can always make sure that everybody sacrifices one card, right, or one creature. Um, I think this card is great just because of the I'm I'm sort of the best case scenario mentality in my head of just it could just destroy the board and everyone gets to choose like oh sweet, I can finally get rid of that thing you know. Well, I'm curious to hear what you say, Glenn, but I haven't played this set enough. I think it would be determined by if it's the type of set where people usually have cards in their hand around turn 7 or turn 8. Yeah. Do they or do they not? Um, I think the first conspiracy was more towards not. Uh, you tended to be run out of gas. There wasn't a ton of draw spells. You didn't have the monarch mechanic mm -hmm. to make people draw things. Um, I'm not sure about this one. It feels like... I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's quite strong, mostly because of the Monarch mechanic. Mm. That's that's really... Like, if you think Unnerve is a solid card, then there's not really a reason to think Capital Punishment is worse, because getting an extra card and a creature for the two mana is totally reasonable. Mm -hmm. uh, and but if you... Unnerve makes uh, your opponent's disc... No, makes... Yeah, your opponent's discard mm -hmm. two cards, right? And it's four mana? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you just cast that on four, you're going to get two cards from most people. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying because of Monarch, I think that you often get the you additional too. cards. Uh, and especially, you know, if, you, if you're actually thinking that most of your opponents will have no hands on turn six, like, that's awesome, too, because that game should be pretty easy to win. You like, should be winning that game, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I've, every game I've ended, I've had a full grip, and it was a fight. Like, right. I was yeah, just, yeah. we were, you know, going long, mm -hmm. and... The people who run out of cards, those are the people who wind up getting picked off. So the fact that it doesn't, it isn't maybe strong against the weakest player at your table that is matter. not That's a strong knock against it. Yeah, right. like it's strong against the strongest players at your table. Right, absolutely. That's a really interesting way to look at it. I like that. Yeah. Uh, all right, finally, what is the one conspiracy you want to see in your pack one pick one above all the other ones? Ooh. Uh, for me, I would, I really, really, really just want to see Sovereign's Realm. Uh, it's a, it's a conspiracy you start the game with. Your deck can't have basic land cards, and your starting hand size is five. 
but you can exile a card from your hand at any time uh, during your turn, and this turn you may play basic land cards from outside the game. So essentially every card you draw, if you don't like it, or another card in your hand, you can say like, I'm gonna make this a basic land instead, and each basic land adds any mana of any color to your mana pool. One mana of any It's color. the sort of new world knit. Yeah, it's... The fair world knit. They're, they're different, I would yeah, say. I'm just saying like it feels like yeah. It is a spiritual success. World Knit was really, really good. Uh, this feels really, really good still, though. That's the one I want. I would love to build a deck around this and see if having if, a, if auto mulling to five is going to kill me or not. Yeah. My, my roommate affectionately refers to that card as Play Duel Masters, another fine <laughs> Wizards product. Uh. <laughs> Uh, my my pick would be Sovereign's Realm because I haven't gotten the luxury of That's, pack yeah, one, right? pick one yet, despite having done like 15 Conspiracy 2 drafts in my life or something. Uh, so frustrating. Gosh. We're going to get there. We'll uh, get there. One day. Uh, but I guess for the sake of diversification, uh, I would take Echoing Boon. I've drafted some pretty insane Echoing Boon decks. Oh, yeah. This is uh, the card, card that is really strong. It's a hidden agenda. You name uh, a creature, and then whenever you play an instant or sorcery that targets that creature, you copy it. Uh, it's a little unique from previous effects, such as the ones we've seen on things like Zada or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, in that it doesn't restrict to single target effects, and it also doesn't restrict right. to only your creatures. Right. So, yeah, you can do some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, I've double duplicated Windborn Charge. That was pretty awesome. Plus. Fleeting Distraction is Ancestral Vision in that scenario as oh, well. Oh, my goodness. Ancestral Recall, I should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. With a, you know, minus two, minus zero to one of the guys tagged on. <laughs> Darn. Um, oh, yeah. shucks. So, yeah, I, I think that card is just really fun to build around. You can build a lot of different Echoing Boon decks. And, yeah, it's a card I'm pretty happy to be first picking. I'm going to say weight advantage. I, I think you got to draft it a little bit earlier so you can build your deck that way. It, it sort of makes uh, your deck into a Duran deck. It, it's a conspiracy. Starts in your command zone. Each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. Seems pretty sweet. Um, yeah, just the, the big butts deck seems cool. The yeah. homunculus that goes is now a four four for two mana. So hey, well yeah, it <laughs> seems like it will turn a lot of cards that nobody wants into really good cards for you. Yeah, and it's an effect you're guaranteed to have too. So it's not like building around. Um, what was that green enchantment? recently that did assault formation assault yeah, formation, yeah. which was really fun to draft and try and make work but you had to draw that card yep. so sometimes you would build that deck and be like i never drew it so my deck sucked this is a conspiracy so it's gonna happen so you can draft yeah your oh yeah. fours or your one fours like omen speaker is amazing now because <laughs> that's a three three that scries two when yeah. it comes in yeah for two mana like and Scry- nobody Scrywolf at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and Omen Speaker w- goes around pretty late. So I think that card, like, I like cards like that. Turn mm-hmm. all the yeah. crappy cards that nobody wants into a- A's or B pluses in your deck. And no one can interact with it. The cards that you're looking to wheel are just so absurd compared to your opponents. Yeah. You're like, boy, I hope this 04 comes back. <laughs> yeah. The That card is really strong, and it's it's best in white, blue, and black, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, in this set, I should say. You know, they those... Those colors are designed with a lot of high toughness, uh, especially because white and black are focused around the monarch, so their creatures are really built to kind of brawl as blockers, mm-hmm, right. uh, and the weight advantage makes them brawl a lot harder. You know, green's got square stats, red tends to favor power, so you know, if you're in Esper color combinations is where you really want to be for weight advantage. It seems like, yeah, blue's great because you're going to get flying a lot of times with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just... Oh. Don't be tricked. Duran, the siege tower, is green, <laughs> but... 
In general, yeah, like you said, box, box creatures. In the, in this format, you know, there are certainly yeah. formats where that's not true. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that just about wraps it up. One final question for you, you, you here, Glenn. Uh, how many conspiracy sets are we likely to get in the future? Wait, wait, we had a multiple choice. Yeah, multiple <laughs> choice. So you want to list them off, Josh? Yeah. So um, how many more conspiracy sets are we likely to get in the future? Choice A, a million. Choice B, more than a million. Choice C, all of the above. Is a very fair poll. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> it's like one of those is substantially larger than the other. <laughs> you, you, you probably had your best. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll take the one closest to true, uh, A. <laughs> uh, but I'll be quite frank, if we ever make more than a million of any Magic the Gathering set, I mean, theme, I'll personally timeline. be thrilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, That right. just means this game has gone on for so, so long, and that would be awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, the big way is, obviously, the more that we play it, and, and obviously go to stores and draft it, and draft it with friends, the more Wizards knows that it's a successful set, so. Yeah, I mean, it's true, the better a set does, like, the more likely we are to repeat it or things like it uh but you know we have uh, a lot of different ancillary lines and we love exploring these things that players just just you know we, we got to figure out what people really like give them diverse mm -hmm. play experiences we just announced a lot of new product lines one of them is arch enemy nickel bolus oh, so yeah, you exciting. already know about an upcoming Gavin, multiplayer right? yeah, experience yeah. so yeah That's yeah this is something we talk to the, uh, our listeners about a lot and and we're going to say it here again which is that we got to support the products that are aimed at us and Conspiracy is aimed at us, and the Commander products are aimed at us. And by us, I mean the casual players, the players that aren't necessarily going to a GP and trying to play on the Pro Tour. You know, we're playing Magic with our friends, you know, at our house or, or you know, at a local bar or at our LGS, but we're not, we don't have these aspirations mm -hmm. of, like, making Magic our life. It's just a fun diversion, and this kind of product is made directly for us. So if you haven't tried it, you need to go try it. It's awesome. It's a blast, man. Yeah, it's it, has, the best. It, it does what great sequels do. It iterates on the original, and in my opinion, so far has been even more fun than the original. So, oh, you guys are killing me. I only played four <laughs> turns of it. I, I do. I really love uh, C Conspiracy Two and all of these ancillary lines and the different play experiences we have. And one of the nice things about them is actually social media just makes having these and experiencing them so much more fun. Mm. Like I get, I've talked with, you know, my friends from back home in Florida, which is where I'm originally from, like clear across the country about Fort Myer? how much they like this set. Uh, I do have some family in Fort Myer, oh. but not, not where I am personally Close. from. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's awesome. And seeing like the, the week that we released conspiracy Two and going to Reddit and seeing like everyone talking about like what they had done and their favorite cards and yeah. what they found cool. Like, that's something that everyone in R and D and I'm sure at Wizard, Wizards at large like just loves to do. So that is honestly like the most fun way you can certainly uh, support a lot of us is just make make known what you love and we'll definitely yeah. try and make more of it. <laughs> One of the rare times that read is is uh, overwhelmingly positive. Anyway, moving on to the listeners. Uh, have any of you guys played Conspiracy Two yet? What are your thoughts? I'd love to hear all of the crazy combos that you guys have assembled. And also what your favorite element of the set is. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be like, I can't wait to play X card in this deck as well. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to see. What your favorite archetype is. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So yeah, Josh can play more than four turns. <laughs> I need to learn from you guys because I haven't played a lot yet. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get my butt kicked all weekend too. We're playing with all the people who make the game. Yeah, and they know the target. Not worried. Josh. I'm not worried. 
Um, well, I, we all know to target Glenn because he's. <laughs> I'm on a 4 0 yeah. heater. Like, Who keeps saying that? It's almost like he wants I'm us to kill him. I'm pretty excited. Well, the last two pods also thought that the 2 0 and 3 0 claims might have some attention. <laughs> Man, he is just throwing <laughs> it out there. Yes. He is throwing it out there. Well, perhaps we will play tomorrow night, Glenn, when we're all at Card Kingdom, That's who right, is yeah. our sponsor. Go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone, order your cards there, and you will be sh- supporting uh, this podcast, the command zone. It's the and best conspiracy way. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you should be ordering your Conspiracy 2 stuff, I mean, if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put in a big order for that. I did. Yeah, and I uh, <laughs> hope to see you guys a lot uh, at at Card Kingdom tomorrow. Obviously, you're going to hear this on Tuesday after it's happened. We so. hope we saw you a lot. It was a blast. <laughs> it was awesome. I had a ton of fun. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. All right. So it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Glenn, do you have something cool outside the world of magic? Yeah, uh, actually, I I just watched The Get Down on Netflix with oh. my roommates. I had watched the first episode, and I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, so I told my roommates, like I do with everything I watch that isn't awful, like, hey, we should watch this together. And we started doing that at 10 p.m., like Saturday night, and at 5 a.m., we were done and we went to sleep. <laughs> you know the show's that's good, though. Like, that's that's good how show. good that yeah. show is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I love that show. Like, it was so, so rewarding. Really what's a, What's a brief synopsis of it, for those that don't know? Brief synopsis of The Get Down? Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. It's Boz Lerman, who is uh, a director I personally really enjoy. Mm-hmm. He did... Uh, Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, greatest movie of all time. Uh, <laughs> Take he that did the great, the great Gatsby recently, which was not his finest hour. But uh, I, I really Leo like Baz Luhrmann because great. he does his his stuff is so musical. I love music, and The Get Down is uh, a lot. It's fictional, but it's a story about a lot of different elements in 1977 New York, late 80s, and the rise mm. of hip hop and the kind of fall of disco, and also a lot about, like, the crime that was going on in that area. So there's just a lot of different threads. New York at that time was a very exciting and interesting place. The characters are great. Uh, just, uh, yeah, it was just, like, a slam dunk for me. I didn't have Sweet. any complaints when I was I've done. heard a lot of good things about the show, man. Netflix? Yeah. Netflix, Netflix is, is killing, killing it. Yeah. Ki- destroying it. They're just, like, Babe Ruth in it every time. They're yeah. like, hey, this show? It's yeah. going They're over the They're kind of the new HBO, yeah. man. Certainly. HBO's still good, don't get me wrong. But. Well, they fall, yeah, they're definitely following. I mean, AMC, Netflix, all those guys are following in what HBO established, which is like, let's make primo, primo shows that are that yeah. are complete experiences, not based on mm-hmm. viewership numbers and, and tell stories. Let's become known let's, for what we offer and not like the people we contract with. Yeah. But it's also, <laughs> it's they're taking risks. Like, all the risky, cool things are happening mm-hmm. on TV now. I feel, I feel like movies have gotten really sort of stale they're, they're, they have to play it very safe and they have to because of the amount of money involved while yeah. the HBOs and the Netflixes of the world are doing stuff that like come on the, what you just described is not a show we would you would normally think of to get greenlit Stranger Things is another yeah. show yeah. like that um, yeah it's just great more importantly Disco never died <laughs> it's still here guys it's just called Lady Gaga now <laughs> <laughs> alright let's move on to the cleanup step Oh, make sure you listen to our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern, where Glenn Jones originally started out. Well, it's not actually true, but it's... it's <laughs> that was his beginning it's where in the world of magic. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's totally 100% not true, but that's where we, Jimmy and I, first met him. You can follow um, The Masters of Modern at the MMCast on Twitter. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, they talk about modern format and all things competitive magic. Uh, before, yeah, we shout, yeah, before we shout out our editor, Glenn, where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me at Glenn. 
with two N's, uh, because that's how I spell my name. Uh, that's Twitter, and yeah, that's pretty much my, my only real social media presence anymore these days. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tweet all your Kaya pictures to Glenn, especially if it's the alternate art. Uh, our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. He does all of our video content. You guys can check that out, including this podcast at youtube.com slash the command zone podcast. We show all the card images. It's a great experience. It's a great way to enjoy the podcast and also read along because we spent a lot of time talking about cards and not explaining what they were until much later in the show. <laughs> Good team, us. Good job. But uh, Terry, he solves all that. Yeah, he solved it. He, he just shows it to you. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, who does the Living Card animations at the show. Uh, you can find him online at Living Cards MTG. Go ahead. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, it yeah. was great. Thank you for having me, guys. Awesome. I love yeah. packs. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.